With the Starship launch dominating the space headlines this week, we want to talk about the bigger picture of the current space industry. And to do this, we're joined by filmmaker Torsten Hoffman, who is making a brand new documentary called Fortitude, in which he seeks to find out all about this trillion dollar industry. Let us know your thoughts. You can do this via our social media pages at Space and Things One on Twitter and at Space and Things Podcast on Instagram and Facebook, or via the contact form on our website. Don't forget to consider joining us over at patreon.com forward slash space and things but right now enjoy episode 139 of the space and things podcast you're listening to space and things with emily carney and dave giles i'm emily carney and I'm Dave Charles, and welcome to episode 139 of the Space and Things podcast. How are you doing, Emily? Good, good. It's been a crazy week in space flight. Um, I won't get too much into it because I'm sure we're going to talk about it in our what things we've noticed this week. But yeah, it's been a crazy week. So lots of fun, but just crazy. It really has been, isn't it? Yeah. I can't imagine what it's been like for you and the other mods on oh God. Space Hipsters because... Lots of chat and lots of repeat chat as well. Yeah, lots of... Uh, yeah, I need a nap. Like, today. <laughs> I need a huge nap. Yeah, the last week has been just crazy. We've I have bags under my eyes. That's all I'll say about that. I have more to say, but it, this is a family show, so I don't want to... <laughs> I don't want to cuss, start cussing on, on, on this show, so yeah. Right, let's get stuck <laughs> into this week's main feature. I'm sure almost everyone listening either watched or heard about SpaceX launching the prototype of their Starship rocket last week. While it didn't quite make it to orbit, it's the start of a new era for spaceflight in which a heavy lift rocket could be made completely reusable. This got us thinking about the future of spaceflight. And while in the past we focused on specific companies or ideas, we wanted to think more about the bigger picture. Fortunately, an opportunity presented itself to us, which meant we got to do that. Filmmaker Torsten Hoffman has teamed up with the people who brought us the High Frontier documentary about Gerard K. O'Neill, and they're making a brand new documentary called Fortitude. The documentary is 90% complete, and they've interviewed so many different people to give us an idea about what the future might look like. Hoffman has made two other documentaries in the past, Bitcoin, The End of Money as We Know It, which won four international awards, and the follow-up. Cryptopia, which won 16 international festival awards. Now he's turned his attention to spaceflight and we're all for it. The official synopsis of the film describes it as a new documentary about the people, perils and promises behind the emerging space industry. Sparked by humanity's unquenchable thirst for exploration, fueled by capitalism's insatiable hunger for profits and propelled by breathtaking technological advances, a new space renaissance is emerging. Fortitude uncovers how a few influential individuals with utopian ideas and vast fortunes are forging a trillion-dollar off-world industry while inspiring millions of us back on Earth. This is the story of those who take the risks, invest the capital, and endeavor to turn science fiction into science fact. So, let's talk to Torsten. It's time to shake off a case of the Thursdays and listen to Space and Things with Emily Carney and Dave Giles. Welcome, Torsten. First, let's discuss your background in entrepreneurship. Uh, you also recently made a widely acclaimed film about cryptocurrency. 
So what attracted you to entrepreneurship and investing and, and partaking in upcoming technologies? Yeah, look, I was um, a couple of years ago, 10 years ago now, actually, uh, I was a sales agent for documentary makers. Um, and um, I did the Netflix deals and, um, you know, the big uh, companies were my clients. And I worked with many, many documentary makers. And then I heard about this crazy thing called Bitcoin. I'm like, mm, this is nice and complex. Nobody really gets it. Let me make a documentary. Super low budget, amateur level. I should say I should have bought Bitcoin rather than make a film about it. But anyway, it was a good start um, to, to my filmmaking career. The next one, Cryptopia, is the one that you mentioned that was in 2018, 19. And that one went pretty big. It's on Netflix here in Europe. It's on Amazon Prime. Um, and now 42 is even bigger. Let's pivot to space entrepreneurship. The theme of Fortitude, this upcoming film, which features interviews with countless experts in the field. What pivotal moments spurred the current interest in space entrepreneurship and startups? It seems like there are tons of new space startups as opposed to even five years ago. You know, for, for me, the interest really came from a different angle. For me, it was like, I'm I'm good at like spotting trends early and I, I like doing this kind of stuff. You know, crypto, obviously I was early as well. But the reason why I started making Fortitude was really everybody knows about Elon Musk and has an opinion, right? Yeah. And most people know about SpaceX. They're all over the place. They're a great company, you know, uh, tons of content. But what about all these other companies, both the old space companies that have been around for 60 years um, that we often forget about, but also these new innovators, uh, innovative companies um, that oftentimes rely on SpaceX, right? They rely on cheap access to space. So I found that aspect super, super interesting. So does this documentary focus mainly on Elon and, and the Elon effect? Or are you looking around at the, the bigger picture? Because obviously he does dominate the news cycle, doesn't he? And that is why he's not part of our film. Obviously, you know, you you have to uh, verbalize and, and and mention him and his achievements. No, no doubt about it. SpaceX is a great company, and they do pop up about but ninety nine percent is non SpaceX. Uh, to be very <laughs> clear, which I think makes it also more interesting for outsiders, but also for insiders alike, because it's, even the space expert insiders have not been to a mission control center or can't imagine I got access into the um, military industrial complex or you know the U U.S. State Department places like. Like that we felt so the new space race which is full of space startups and companies looks really different from the space race of the late 1950s and 1960s so despite the wildly different circumstances which would be like political versus entrepreneurial competition are there parallels and similarities explored in fortitude yeah, absolutely. And that could be a whole topic. And I'm sure you've explored it elsewhere. And, and you will know much more about it than, than I uh, do. I did do my research and um, read all the books and stuff like that. So for me, I just picked a, a few things that were interesting to me. For example, I mean, now we talk about the privatization of space and commercial space and all that. But um, if you look under the hood, a lot of the demand in private space is actually government, <laughs> right? So so right. how private is how private is private space, really? Um, and I find that interesting because um, you could you could look at it both ways, right? Why is NASA funding the two richest guys on the planet? But also, to be fair, by doing that, it enables um, access to space that are hundred times cheaper than if they you know launch their own, their own rockets. So I I love that kind of um, you know playing around with the topic. And and there's no no good or bad or old or new like all these kind of um, things that I think maybe journalists jump to right when they write sexy headlines. But if you look at it deeper, and, and this is a deep in-depth um, doc documentary, um, you find out it's it's not either or, right? It's kind of um, both. When you were interviewing uh, people from other startups that aren't 
Blue Origin or SpaceX, obviously the two billionaires that you, you mentioned uh, with Elon and, and Jeff Bezos. Was there any kind of scepticism from any of the other CEOs or any of the other companies or any bitterness that those two do get those NASA contracts? Yeah, I mean, I, I think you are um, referring to kind of a, a little bit the jealousy, uh, right? I mean, I'm sure yeah. there is a little bit of that, right? Who gets the first flight tickets <laughs> to 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 uh, fly up to the over the common line and, and things like that? Who gets the, um, uh, the, the the government grants? But look, I mean. I think what is different here than, for example, in the crypto space, right? I, I was I was covering the crypto space for a long time, and these people wanted to sell me their coins or their projects because there's an economic interest, right? I think the difference here in this community, in the space community, is um, they are aiming for something bigger. They they are inspired, maybe since childhood, right, um, to reach the stars or become multiplanetary or build rocket ships. I mean, that's that's just a whole different level, and um, I don't think the competition is that. Um, fierce or not as um, nasty, maybe, than in other industries. So one significant criticism of the current new space landscape involves reconciling capitalism with what Dr. Gerard K. O'Neill characterized as opening the high frontier. While successful new space projects can bring in billions of dollars for entrepreneurs, how can that be reconciled with the benefits of exploring and settling space and what that'll bring to humanity, you know, and how does the film broach this issue? Again, I think it's not either or, right? Um, Elon Musk proves it like literally this month, right? Um, he he needs a billion dollar company. He needs some government uh, grants as well in order to reach Mars and to build these massive rocket ships. Um, and and yes, it does enrich him, but it also helps humanity forward. So I think I think that's relatively um, um, straightforward. But what I find more fascinating, to be honest, is almost like so we've been talking about the the Earth to space economy, right? The rockets, and you, you, we can talk about this all day long. But what about all these satellites, all these constellations that are up there, right? And beaming data back down, so the space to Earth economy. So I'm, I'm spending quite a bit of time um, um, going into depth uh, depth here. Again, there's some government um, involvement, um, of course, but there's also all these new private um, uh, initiatives and, and data economies that are appearing. And and for example, they help climate change. So. So, uh, you know, where, where do you stand on that? I mean, who who can can be against, um, uh, you know, monitoring weather or, you know, cl climate um, uh, models? Absolutely. And I think that, that brings us on to this question, I think. So what challenges, obviously you mentioned climate change there, but what other challenges, economic, social or otherwise, does Fortitude discuss as humanity tries to make space for everyone. Yeah, um, I think you're queuing it up nicely there. Um, diversity, right? So for everyone, and who is everyone? In the 60s, it was only a white American men. You might think, if you read the headlines, it's all you know the, those joy rides was only white American men. But if you um, look a little bit deeper, and and I met many of these astronauts and citizen um, scientists and citizen astronauts, they're very very inspiring and also very capable. A lot of a lot of them are women, but it, it's it's really been opening up, and then. And also, to be fair, there's a lot of um, activity in Japan and in, in China and in India and all these other nations, which back to your original question from the 60s, there was just two nations and it was just about, uh, you know, military and geopolitical interests. So have you actually been able to interview a lot of people from different countries and uh, or is it just been US focused uh, for this film? Yeah, so we interviewed 80 um, different um, companies and, and people on four continents, I believe six or seven countries. Um, wow. So very much an international uh, approach. I tried to get into China, but I'll be honest, um, uh, during COVID, you know, we're still 
completely locked down. Also, the permits wasn't wasn't so easy. So we we do cover the topic, and I think it is you know a tricky one, a touchy one, <laughs> where people that were a little bit uncomfortable, <laughs> shaking and shifting in their um, seats. But um, we, we we do cover it. But I would have loved to really go to China myself. Did you start all this process before or after the uh, Russia-Ukraine conflict started? Because obviously that's caused a lot of problems within the space industry, especially with with a lot of the ESA stuff in particular from our perspective. Yeah, it was right in the, in the middle of production. So just to be clear, I'm 90% done with production. I'm doing a Kickstarter now in order to finish the, the, the film, basically. And, um, you know, I had a dinner recently with, with someone who's doing a lot of space investments. And he said, well, you know, Ukraine in many ways was like the, the best thing that could happen to many of these space companies, because now all these governments, all these militaries and intelligence um, services realize that, oh, I can buy this data, right? I don't need my own satellites anymore. I can buy this data um, and, and and even have it analyzed myself. Um, so it's not only for climate change and for all these um, or for financial uh, traders, but also for intelligence um, uh, services. So I think, um, again, that goes back to how private is new space if a lot of the demand, a lot of the customers come from military um, and um, national interests. Having just told us how many different people you've interviewed and they're from complete different backgrounds, this leads me on to this one. If you're anything like us, and we, we've interviewed a number of people as well from various different startups and I'm sure you had a number of absolutely mind-blowing moments where someone said something, you just couldn't believe quite what they were saying. Was there one person in particular who really left their mark on you with their answers? And can you give us a preview into what they might have said? Or are you saving that for the movie? Uh, no, happy. There's no no um, uh, breaks here. I want to promote the film. I want people to check out the Kickstarter. So, um, you know, two come to mind. Um, one I'll just briefly mention, um, that's the asteroid mining uh, guys, which I thought is kind of like a bit sci-fi, right? I mean, come on, yeah. we're talking 20, 30 years away. But this guy actually had a um, very viable business case. He said he had more investors that, that they wanted and, and they just launched like a test mission. Um, and as you know, the Japanese have already landed successfully in an asteroid. So maybe it's not that crazy. And in, in the voiceover, I have a line saying that, well, all the platinum is in Russia, which is a little bit, you know, distant at the moment. So maybe the those asteroids are not as distant anymore. And, and the other one is is that DNA thing, uh, which I'm sure you're going to ask me uh, about um, uh, too. Um, basically, we we offer our backers and our supporters the opportunity to send a selfie to the moon uh, or or have their own DNA or their pet's DNA um, onto this little life ship, which goes on a Falcon 9 rocket onto the moon um, early next year. And the idea here is to back back up humanity right to to spread life to the to, to the universe not in the elon musk kind of colonizing mars way but um in in the dna way because i mean we can already recreate dna in the lab or some parts of it so imagine what we can do in 100 years and thousand years imagine what aliens can do <laughs> you know you've mentioned that the the kickstarter twice now so let, let's just talk about that and the fact that you have this incredible reward so what is the kickstarter trying to achieve you you, you briefly mentioned it earlier and, and how are you trying to do this? Because this is fascinating. As independent filmmakers, we don't take orders from big broadcasters or corporations. I make the film that I want to make, right? So I do the research. I go around the world and learn more and want to dig down deeper and and, and uh, explore these topics, um, which is, I guess, a good thing. But it's also a bad thing in terms of trying to finance it because eventually I did run out of money, four continents, 80 um, 
interviews, as I mentioned before. So um, what I'm doing now is the same what I did with Cryptopia is to, in order to finish the film. Um, and, and, you know, I'm looking at your studio. So the, the music and, you know, the color correction and the last two production days that we still need, um, all that money still needs to be raised. And that's, that's what a Kickstarter usually is for to audience build, to brand, uh, you know, build the brand as well, but also to, to get some um, uh, funding in. So you did mention that you, you did a, your own research for this project. So where did you start when you started this project as it's such a it's a big subject it's a huge subject yeah, the the Apollo um, history is a good place to start. And then I read uh, Space Barons. Um, I think Davenport is that his name? Um, fantastic book about the history of uh, Blue Origin, SpaceX, some of the other big projects. Um, and then you just went go from there. You just follow the news. And then once you start talking to people, they introduce to other people. Right? You start attending a conference, and then um, again uh, things opening uh, up. And um, I was surprised how uh, inviting and welcoming the community is. So um, I like even billion dollar companies, stock market listed, you know, like proper big corporations. Um, they were able to, um, you know, have us invite us, um, give us access to some locations that they've never had other film crews in. I don't expect you to name names, but were there people that said no? Yes. Um, so SpaceX actually did say no, but um, I'll be honest. I mean, wow. it's it's interesting because, well, first of all, I'm sure they get a million press you know uh, income so so that's maybe one of one of the reasons uh, secondly they have their own kind of marketing machine with, with metrics and, and stuff like that and thirdly um just as i said in the beginning everybody kind of knows about elon has an opinion now everybody knows about spacex and this is a film about anything else that's happening except spacex so so maybe that was kind of like a blessing in disguise so without spoiling the movie too much uh did putting it together make you hopeful that space for all is possible in our lifetimes or maybe for future generations it does and i have a whole bit of inspiration at the end of the film however there's a big big but the but is um space sustainability or space debris um, and, and that whole issue right so I, I attended many conferences spoke to many policymakers, and also startups you mentioned the startups that are trying to clean up space trying to refuel satellites all, all that kind of good stuff um it is scary. I mean, the Kessler effect is a real thing. And, um, you know, you, it's just scary to think about, like with all these new space stations out there with all these new satellites, um, and, and then it, it cascades down. So I think um, we've got to be careful here. And maybe it's still time to um, put some some rules in, in, in place or some technologies in place. Um, so that, that, that got me worried a little bit. If, if people are listening right now, and they're on the fence about whether to support uh, your movie, there are plenty of documentaries out there about the space program why should people back your project over other projects that are available or what makes yours different to other things that are out there right now yeah so i think um for anyone in the space industry it's in their own interest to have um, a piece of education that is entertaining right um, um, about their their space it will um, draw people to take the jobs or to, to do the right um, um, studies in, in the university and um, it will also promote their jobs their companies their uh, vision and their their mission so um, i think it is important i saw the same in, in my previous film um, it's a community building event and and um, i can assure you that a film an independent film has way way larger reach so my last film for example 
was on Al Jazeera four times, which is the largest broadcaster in the Middle East and Africa. I mean, just mm. think about you know the the reach that that uh, BBC documentary, just to name one, would never ever ever reach. Um, so that's number one. But number two, also, I mean, you got to do it for your own uh, kind of personal reasons and or your own ego. Maybe you want to see your poster. Uh, sorry, your name in the poster, um, or you want to um, you know send send your DNA to the moon, or um, um, you know some of the other perks. Um, be part of the filmmaking process. Um, look behind the scenes. Um, uh, be part of the filmmaking workshops and things like that. With, with obviously Starship, the Starship launch last week. Have you noticed a bigger interest in what you're doing? Because that certainly puts the uh, the focus on new space, doesn't it? I mean, it, we're definitely entering that era. I think Eric Berger called it the 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 era of Starship. I mean. Some of my friends who are relatively well informed about space, they texted me and said, "Oh my God, SpaceX! Um, the the rocket exploded. It was a disaster, right? New York Times headlines it, um, it exploded right after launch." not understanding that it achieved you know a hundred times better than it was meant to be and that's exactly why you need content like your podcast or my documentary to educate people right because we can't trust the the, the mainstream media with just headline and news and um yeah i think that's maybe the best sales pitch to be honest fantastic well this is this has been really really eye-opening and and i really hope that the uh the documentary goes really well uh and you get it finished and i can't wait to watch it personally i think it's gonna be really great Thank you very much, Torsten. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, Dave. Thank you. Uh, Emily, it's been a pleasure and an honor. I'll see you in Florida when we come come through in our world tour. I'm sure there'll be an event in my yes. somewhere. Absolutely. All right. From the meme center of the universe, it's Space and Things. All right. Well, that was really cool. Torsten is really enthusiastic and impressive. I'm really excited they've interviewed so many people for this project because it's going to have a lot of really diverse voices in it that are going to be discussing the future of space. And I love that the High Frontier people are working with him because the High Frontier was centered around someone who was talking about the future of space in the 70s, you know? And so it was kind of looking back at someone who was looking forward, whereas this one kind of nicely is almost not a sequel, but sort of like a extension, like, okay, now here's the people talking about moving forward. How we're going to do it. Now we're going to do it. Yeah, now now we're talking to the people who are making who are fulfilling this, you know, at the present time. So I think it's a nice sort of little I guess connection there. I think that's really cool. I like that a lot. So I watched a clip of it and it looks really cool. I'm excited to see this come out and I hope people uh donate to the Kickstarter to get it to get it completed. Obviously, this is our uh, second interview that requires a, a Kickstarter in, in two months. And we appreciate yeah. that we might be asking a lot of people to keep keep funding these things and us as well. But this does look really great. And, and the fact that the process is 90% complete, you're coming in right at the end at this point. And uh, I will put a, a link to the trailer, so to speak, uh, of what they've done so far. And it is, in, it is cool. And they are focusing on on things that perhaps don't get talked about in other documentaries that that I've seen about about space. I, I mean, the ones on Netflix are all pretty much SpaceX infomercials. And yeah. although, as yeah. you said, you can't <laughs> you can't talk about new space without talking about SpaceX. That's absolutely true. But there's a lot of other things going on, and and a lot of them do rely on SpaceX and need SpaceX to be successful, and and they need Starship to be successful. You know, when we spoke to the guys at Think Orbital, their business plan is pretty much reliant on that heavy lift, cheap heavy lift reusable rocket 
of Starship. It's so important. So a lot of these things are are all coming together and they're all connected. And it's it's exciting to to see it all come together and actually having someone present that in a cohesive format, which we can give to people who come to us and say, what's going on? You see all this stuff about Blue Origin or, or SpaceX. What's actually happening? And you can say, well, actually, there's loads of stuff behind the scenes. And, and we try and do it every now and then with our podcast, but not everyone has time to listen to 140 episodes yeah. uh, of us rabbiting on. Uh, <laughs> so uh, a two-hour documentary, which focuses all of those things together on the challenges on what's coming up what's exciting it's really cool i think well, yeah. of course i think that i mean I'm, I'm biased in that way aren't i like you said you know uh not to not to knock on spacex or anything like that not to diss them but i like the fact that they're focusing on other people as well because spacex and blue origin they get so much they get a lot of you know media attention they're not really in danger of going away because of the media or anything like that because no. people because people lost interest absolutely not but i think it's good that they're trying to promote other people who are working in the same industry you know like people who, with startups and you know people who are thinking about other things and i like the fact that he mentioned you know other issues that do affect space flight you know such as you know we got to worry about climate change we got to worry about you know, debris, debris mitigation. Yeah, that's yeah. going to be degree mitigation. Uh, degree. Oh, my God. I can't talk today. Debris mitigation. All right. I did it. We got to worry <laughs> about we got to worry about that. But seriously, that that's going to be a huge issue because we've got so there is so much in space. I mean, we of course, we think, well, space is big. Right. And it's like it is. But when you have thousands and thousands of pieces of stuff in space and some of it is come apart, you know, because it's old, you know, it just probably disintegrated over time because space isn't like the most forgiving environment that's an issue you know that's something we have to that we got to worry about now you know um i know we've done shows about it in the past but i I would love to personally do more about you know debris mitigation you know on on space and things in the future just because that is something that's going to be a big deal you know especially in the next probably two decades when we got even bigger things like, you know, Hubble Space Telescope is probably going to be a piece of debris at some point. I hate saying that. The ISS. Yeah, the ISS might be a big piece of debris at some point. And, you know, I hate saying that because those are iconic pieces of space hardware, but it's going to happen where they're not usable anymore. So what do we do with that? You know, and those are pretty big, big pieces of hardware. You can see them from here, you know? (laughs) Yeah, you can absolutely. see them when they pass over. Yeah, it's not just that there's lots of things up there either. It's the speed they're moving at, and Correct. that's what that's obviously the what makes it so dangerous because anything yeah. touches anything at that speed, and it just creates even more of a cloud of things that are up there. And then, you, and then eventually, we might not even be able to get through. We might not even be able to leave if we don't sort this out because everything would have just spread spread out and and there won't be any gaps to get anything out or in exactly torsten mentioned this during the interview it's called the kessler effect which i learned all about reading dr alice gorman's book dr space junk versus the universe this is the potentially the third or fourth week in a row i've mentioned that book we had dr alice on before but i think we need to get her on again she also argues in that book that there are items in space which have huge heritage value things like hubble or explorer one uh, which we talked about a few weeks ago and those items need to perhaps be preserved in orbit if possible but 
There are also a lot of items up there which really don't need to be there or yeah. that are causing problems. Plus, we keep putting more and more up there. Huge constellations of satellites like OneWeb or Starlink. At some point, we've got to get to grips with all of this or it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah. And it's good to hear that this documentary is going to cover that. Even CubeSats, you know, they're small, but they don't take up a lot of space and they're small, but it's still debris. You know, it's and still going to become 17,000 mile an hour. If it hits you, you're still going to be out of commission. You know, it doesn't matter <laughs> how big it is. It could be, you know, the smaller than your pinky and it'll still put you out of commission. It's like a bullet. So those are things we have to think about, you know, and CubeSats are really popular, you know, because they're not as expensive. They're not very large. You know, they're easy to launch in, in comparison to like these huge satellites. These are things that we, we absolutely have to think about in the not just in the future, but right now. Absolutely. Yeah. So I, I'm excited about this film. And, and it's great that, that, you know, people we know are, are behind it as well. Uh, that, as you said earlier, the, the people behind the High Frontier, the High Frontier documentary, which is beautiful as well. If no one's watched that, go, go and source yeah. that out as well. I put a link to that in the show notes as well. And as always, the full interview will be up in video form on our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash space and things. Always gluten free, it's space and things. So, Emily, what's caught your eye in spaceflight this last week? Okay, other than the obvious one, one thing that I thought was really cool, and we've already mentioned him several times in this in this uh, week's podcast, but uh, I figured out, I don't know how long they've been live, but um, Gerard K. O'Neill's papers are live on the Smithsonian uh, website. I knew the Smithsonian had his papers for a long time, and I was always like, man, I, I got to go up to Washington, D.C. to see them, which I would have done. Yeah. But now they're online and they're accessible to everybody, which is awesome. I've spent the last two days just going through them and losing sleep. Seriously, it's been incredible. There's a lot of rare photos that I've never seen. All of his drafts and and his a lot of his paperwork is there. Some of his records from when he was going through astronaut selection, he was ultimately not selected, but are there, which is incredible. As somebody who's written about him a lot, I'll be real. I'm just obsessed with his career and his life story. It kind of sucks because he's been gone for a long time. He's been, you know, yeah. he's been dead for over 30 years and you can't call him. You can't reach <laughs> out yeah. and email him. You know, it's, it's that makes research daunting and. Other than the great book that was done by uh, Dylan Taylor a couple of years back and the High Frontier movie again, which uh, is incredible, there's really not a lot of biographical information out there about him. So these archives fill in a lot of blanks. The last couple of days, I've had questions answered by them. It's very touching because you realize looking through his archives, I didn't even need to talk to him about some stuff. He answered it. Oh, he wow. didn't say it in words. It's in the archives. It's in his papers, which is surreal and incredible. So I'm probably not getting sleep for a few days just because the last few nights I've just spent going through like his papers. I was just about to ask, how long do you think it would take to get through it? Or is it even possible to? Is there certain things that you are looking for when you're going through them? Did you have an objective or are you just curious to, to see all of it? There, I think there's 75 boxes in there. So it's wow. it's fairly large. The last uh, few days, I've kind of just been going through specific things. Uh, you all are going to laugh at this one. I knew he had uh, helped put together an Epcot ride, uh, a now defunct Epcot ride, 
in the 80s, which was called Horizons. And I knew he'd, he'd put it, help put it together because there's a there's a space settlement on that ride, like a, a O'Neill colony on that ride, which was really cool. When I was a kid, it was like, whoa, this is futuristic, man. So I went and typed in Epcot <laughs> into the archives and turns out there's all this paperwork on how he was invited to Epcot's opening. There's a, a commemorative newspaper about Epcot. I mean, wow. I was dying because I'm like, Your wow. Your two favorite things combined. Yes, I was freaking out because I was like, holy crap, he was there the first day. He was like an invited guest. You know, he probably stayed at the Contemporary or something across the, you know, little ways from the, you know, from Epcot, you know, or from the Magic Kingdom or whatever. I just thought it was incredible because I knew there was a linkage there, but I didn't know exactly what it was. I've kind of been just spot checking the archives, you know, and looking for specific things. I did look for some paperwork related to when he was trying out to be an astronaut, auditioning to be an astronaut in the 60s. And a lot of that stuff is there. Is it easy to find? Like, can you just search keywords or, or is yeah, it? Yeah, you can search keywords. Oh, they nice. also have it broken down by a table of contents. So oh, like, cool. academic papers, non-academic papers, personal papers, images, I think there's one that's just oversized things that didn't quite fit anywhere else or, or miscellaneous. One thing is, I think it's free to cite some of the paperwork that's in the archives. There is a citation uh, guideline, I think, that's given by, like, at the at the title page. Yeah. But I know if you want to use images, you have to ask the Smithsonian. So I want to make that yeah. clear to people who may want to use the archives. You do have to ask if you want to reproduce the photos or anything like that. But... You're, I believe if you want to cite the paperwork, you just have to do a citation. So we can expect plenty of new articles on Gerard K. O'Neill on Correct. Blogs, perhaps. <laughs> yes, I'm planning on doing one this week, just mainly oh, nice. about the availability of the <laughs> right. archives, you know, and um, things like that, because there are specific things I'd like to write about, but I'd like to obviously ask them for permission to use certain images. This is Dave, the editor, just letting you know that that article has now been written and there is a link in the show notes so you can read it. All right. And what about you, Dave? What have you been looking at? Right. Well, literally right now, as we're talking, a Japanese company called iSpace is attempting to land the very first private lander on the moon. And that is very, very cool. A spacecraft has sent back some incredible photos over the last few days. I don't know if you've seen them, Emily. It it even captured the solar eclipse on the Earth's surface from the moon, which I don't think I've ever seen a photo like that before. Anyway, the lander, which is called Hakutu-R, is attempting to land literally right now as we're talking. It amazes me that this isn't a bigger deal. In the grand scheme of things, not that many items have landed on the moon, and yet not that many people seem to be talking about this online. Anyway, I'll keep my fingers crossed that this is successful, and it certainly links into this week's episode and explains why a film like Torsten is making is so important. The space industry is so much yeah. more than just SpaceX. It's more than NASA. It's more than NASA, absolutely. You it's, know, we're not shading any of those. No. You know, we're not shading NASA or SpaceX or Blue they're Origin. We're just things. saying they're all doing awesome things, and they all have a place in this industry, but there's so much more out there as well that are working in concert with them, if that makes sense. Absolutely. And, and personally, I, I, I really do want to see all these companies coming together and actually making sure that they're, they're working together. And, and that's, you know, certainly yeah. me living a utopian dream there. But- I think that, I think when Artemis, um, when we have a full landing, 
with you know with a lot of the different um contractors working together because it's more than just spacex and nasa it's probably going to be a lot of different people as well a lot of different contractors even the people who are making this you know the spacesuits for it i think that'll be almost sort of like the true test almost like can we all get along <laughs> you know editor dave here again unfortunately the land of fouled in its attempt to land on the moon full story can be found in the show notes and I do think, Emily, that we should talk about Starship because that launch was yes. incredible. So I think we should cover it. What were your feelings when you were watching it the other day? I was honestly very excited and and very pleased. And and a lot of people are going to be like, why were you pleased it blew up? I was very pleased because I honestly did not think it would make it past Max-Q. I was like, there's no way. It's going to blow up on the pad. And not that I had... Uh, not that I doubted SpaceX or anything like that, and I'm not a SpaceX hater or anything like that, I, it, but I seriously doubted it would just make it off the pad because it's so enormous. It's so new. Yeah, it's so new. They've never done it, you know? So I honestly did not expect much at all. I, I was like, if it clears the pad, that, that'll be awesome. And it went past Max-Q, and it actually went... It didn't go to space, but it made it pretty um, high in altitude. I, I think uh, 24... About twenty four miles up, I think, or something like that. I, wow, I forgot. I haven't. Se- I haven't actually looked at what that final figure was, to be honest. I was impressed that it made it past Max Q, just because it's brand new. There's so many engines. There's so many unknowns that they're trying to work out with a vehicle of this magnitude. Um, I mean, it is the largest space. It's the largest rocket ever launched. Yeah, so most powerful. Yeah, yeah. Also, SpaceX were playing down the chances of it even clearing the clearing yeah. the tower so it's, it's not like it's a bad thing to say i didn't expect it to clear the tower because they were they were almost joking oh man if this clears yeah. the tower we've done well and they were very open and blunt about that which is yeah. refreshing as well isn't it from a company yeah. that big to be that honest about what they were hoping to achieve maybe they were intentionally downplaying it a little bit but it didn't it didn't feel that way it felt like that's they meant that if we get this off the pad we've done really well um yeah. I, I thought it, it was such a wonderful experience watching that thing yeah it moves so funny <laughs> maybe it's just because it's it's very slow it's it was very slow off the pad yeah for sure but it, it was also when it was in space like it bent a little bit and it moved the way it moved and and flexible flexible yeah and it, i kept thinking it was going to break apart and it didn't yeah yeah like, it really some super engineering has gone into that to, to make something that big even when it was was turning after the stage separation fell, and it was it was falling through the before it uh, it was auto detonated, it didn't break apart. No, yeah, I was very impressed. I honestly was like, "Why is this thing still holding together?" Yeah, because I'm watching it and I'm like, obviously there's been an anomaly, an anomaly. Ooh, yeah, I screwed that word up. Obviously there's been an anomaly, but it's still holding together, which is incredible and not. I shouldn't even say this because people are going to say you're you're pitting them against each other. I'm really not because they're not. Um, but the Saturn V couldn't have taken that kind of stress. Like it would have just probably, you Lost know, bro- broken apart. Yeah, exactly. Whereas I was just like, wow, this thing's still hanging together. That's unbelievable. Like, obviously, there's been a lot of commentary about it over the last few days. A lot of different commentary. But I was really impressed and I'm really excited. I'm sure there'll be other attempts in the future to lift it off. And I, I, I honestly think they're going to have a success with this. I mean, they had 
attempts to land the booster a few years ago, the first stage booster, and the first ones did not work. I mean, you remember that yeah, going absolutely. back a few it didn't years. Take, it didn't take him long, did it? Didn't take no. him long to get that right. Yeah, it took him a few tries, you know, and, and finally they got it right, which is incredible. And now, you know, we're in a system where we've got reusable rockets, which is incredible. I mean, that's something from science fiction. That's something that the space shuttle was like, oh, yeah, it's reusable. Not really. You know, as much as I love the space shuttle, it was not really a super reusable system because it had to be, uh, we won't get into that here, but you know why. It was, (laughs) certain things had to be refurbished before they flew again. They couldn't just turn it around in like two seconds, but um, I have no doubt they'll they'll get it right the next, if not the next time, then maybe the time after, the time after. But I, I honestly felt it was a great success considering that I had no expectations when I first turned on the live feed, I was like, "This." I had no expectations at all. So yeah, same. It was yeah, it was it was really great to see it go. I was very very happy because I think it really is a new era. Well, once once this, once they get this working, and they will. I'm you know I'm certain they will. It's it's a game changer, and there's no denying that it's going to absolutely revolutionize what humans can do with space flight. And yeah, there's, yes, that opens up a. A lot of other questions, uh, that both morally and questions about technology, but it's exciting as well. And the fact that we can be part of those conversations is is a big is a good thing. So yeah, obviously there's a lot of speculation uh, about what went wrong, why it went wrong, blah blah blah. But they cleared the tower, and they do have some things to answer for in terms of the local environment that I'd like to see them be yeah, more open agreed. about. Um, because there was a lot of dust that come up. They don't have a flame trench at the moment, which seems a bit crazy and, and different uh, for something so big. And maybe they'll change that in the future. But there's a lot of positives as well. So I think with anything, if they're doing everything this publicly and allowing everyone to see what's going on, uh, they've got to be applauded for that. And, and But you've also got to be aware that you're opening yourself up to criticism and people asking these questions and hopefully they're listening to that and saying, okay, yeah, actually we need to figure that out or we need to let people know what's happening with this. Um, because I, I would like to know what happens when that much concrete gets blasted into the air and yeah, or dust or, and all those other things. I'd like to know what that, what effect that causes on local area. Cause if we're going to be doing that regularly, if it's going to happen twice a day as they're predicting, then we need to know what, what impact that's having exactly no i, I totally agree I, I they obviously need to work that out before they try it again you know with the flame trench and all that stuff i was uh very impressed with the damage in the area it reminded me of um 25 26 years ago there was a delta launch that went bad at cape canaveral and it melted some cars into the ground yeah. and it kind of reminded me of that I hope that those issues are addressed as well because that has the capability to take out a lot. <laughs> you <Yeah>. know, <laughs> it really does. Also, I mean, tying tie it back to our interview today, you know, we talking about how the how the space industry has got a massive part to play in global warming and climate change and all that kind of stuff. Well, if we're not going to address local environments of launch sites as well, then we just open ourselves up to get slated by outsiders or people who want the space industry to fail. And so it's a really 
it, it's something that that should be fixed and something that that kind of needs to be a, a question that needs to be answered and have an adequate answer for, so that when critics do come in and there will be critics, we've got that answer where that we can say, look, this is being worked on, or uh, here's the actual impact, here's what happened, here's why it happened, and so on and so forth. I think that stuff is important, but that might just be me. Again, we all know, regular listeners will know I'm quite utopian about all these things, uh, but. I think it is important. I think I'm, I'd like to think that they're self-aware enough to know that as well. I'm pretty sure a lot of intelligent people there and uh, who, who know what they're doing. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Or mispronunciation is entertainment. It's space and things. That will do for this week. I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast. If you have, please hit the share button. Or if you have any space flight loving friends, let them know all about it. And if you're willing and able, why not head over to patreon.com slash space and things and help us out. But don't forget, in space, no one can hear you mean. Things in space, space and things. Okay.